everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, and in spite of having strep throat this past week, this is Debbie Montgomery Johnson, and I'm here today with a fabulous guest. And folks, regardless of what's gone on in our lives, we've all had something happen, and it's a matter of pivoting and finding something new to do. And my guest today... I'm so excited. I've been doing my research for the last couple of hours, and uh, as I normally do. And I feel like I've gotten to know my guest very well because I listen to a lot of her YouTube videos, and I want you all to do that. But, folks, I want to welcome Miss Betsy Clark coming to us from Colorado Springs. Miss Betsy, are you there? I am. Good morning, Debbie. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you, and it's early in, in the Colorado Springs, but... Thank you so much, and thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. As with many of my guests, Betsy and I have not met in person, but like I said, doing research, I feel like I know her. I was watching a little show that she had on YouTube, and it was called So What Wednesdays. I encourage you to go to YouTube, look at Betsy Clark, watch her So What Wednesdays. They're short, sweet, to the point, and it was a great introduction for me on who this delightful lady is. Many years of coaching and life, but Betsy, like I do with all my guests, we're going back to when you were young. Just found out you were from Massachusetts. So can you tell uh-huh. us a little bit about who the real Betsy Clark started to be when she was young? Well, thank you, Debbie. I really am excited to be on this call this morning, and I'm even more excited that this is not a video uh, Zoom chat or Facebook Live because it is very early, uh, and my hair is still wet. But I did take a shower for y'all, so I'm I'm clean and I'm ready, and I'm looking forward to this time with you. I was raised outside of Boston. I come from a lovely family. I am the youngest of four children. I'm the baby of the family. I'm the free spirit of the family, and I had a marvelous childhood. And I was raised with the, the belief that to whom much is given, much is required. And so that, that really was forged into me at an early age. So I am very cause-driven, and one of my main drivers is I want to be a contributor. And that's really why you and I have not met, and I have no idea what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> And there's a risk in that. And I realize if I can say something that gives one woman, because I work specifically with women, I love men, I, I'm married to one, I've birthed one, I have one as a grandson, as a grandchild, I love men, but I work with women. But if I can give women one piece of hope, a lifeline, then my day is a juicy day. It's a good day. And so... That's, that's kind of me, and I, I was very athletic as a kid. I was a ski instructor in high school, and through some, some wonky experiences, my application didn't get into the college that I thought I was applying to, and it was so easy to get into college back in the, the early 70s, and I didn't really think about it. Well, 
I didn't go to college right out of high school, which, which was, um, that was a point of shame for me, you know, because I come from a highly educated family. And I decided to be a ski instructor. And it was one day, it was bitterly cold. It was like 30 below at Wildcat Mountain, and the wind was blowing, and I was trying to get skis on little, little ankle biters, and my hands were freezing. And I thought, there's more to life than this. So in my wisdom and my 18-year-old my brain, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought, oh, I'll go to Utah where my friends are. So I left the Boston area in 1974, and I've been in the West ever since. The expansiveness of the West just fuels this free-spirited side in me. And I miss the East. I go back and I visit my family. My dad is 99 years old, and he's still alive and thriving. And so I do get back to the East, but I am a West Coast. I'm a West. I'm a Western girl. So that's me in a nutshell. I don't know if I answered that enough, Debbie. Is there anything else? No, that's good. It gives me an idea of who you are, and it's kind of we've we've probably been in similar areas. I mean, I spent some time in Denver after I got out of college, and then actually I was just out there. I was in Colorado Springs in the and. Um, Oops, having a brain cramp on the little town right beside Colorado Springs when my girlfriend's from, from school lives there. Uh, and I love that Utah, Colorado mountain skiing area. I haven't skied in a long time, but we all grew up that way, and it's, it was great and good air. But I'm thinking that we, we were in, you said we don't know each other, and you don't know where this is going to go. It's a conversation. But we were introduced yeah. to each other through Trish Carr. And Trish mm. is one of the three sisters at Women's Prosperity Network. And it all comes down to who you know, love, and trust. And mm-hmm. that's where it is. I've worked with Trish and Nancy and Susan for years. And when Trish said, Deb, you need to meet Betsy, I'm like, yes. That's what we're all supposed to say, right? Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's just no love, trust, and just say yes, because there's a reason why we're in each other's life today. And I'm grateful that you're here because I know what you've got to say is going to touch one person besides me that hears what you have to talk about today. And I, as I was doing my my research this morning, I came up with so many fun ideas. But I do want to go back to something that you have on your website where you're describing who you are. And this kind of goes into my audience uh, at SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, where... Many of the women have lost a substantial amount of money in a very quick amount of time and are beating themselves up. The very first part of your your introduction to to yourself was, in my mid-20s, I squandered most of my family inheritance. I lost my money, my voice, and my soul in business. Can you explain that to to me? What happened, if you don't mind? And how how do you move out of that? Because you're 20. I mean... All of us older ladies in our 60s, we can beat ourselves up because we've lived most of our lives. But at 20, you're just starting. So what happened then and, and how did you get through that? It's, it's funny because um, I, haven't, I haven't read that aspect of my bio in a little while. While you were reading it, it, it really took my breath away. Um, it's, it had the capacity, just that story had the capacity to take me out at the knees. And I'm really grateful that it did not. And my desire is the thing that fuels me in business is to help women find their voice and not lose their soul in business. That is, that is the thing that's etched in my heart. And I was, I was in my, my early 20s, and I had a degree. I've been an artist my whole life, and that's how I made my, my money. Um, into my my older into my adult years, but I was about eighteen, nineteen when I was majoring in art, and my pottery teacher said, "You know, you don't have what it takes to be an artist." And being a people pleaser, I took his advice, and I went into health education. And it just so happened that my roommate bought a franchise from this, this fledgling company in this industry that didn't really exist yet. And the only weight loss um, big, big business was um, Weight Watchers at the time. So this woman in Rexburg, Idaho, started a, a company called Diet Center. 
and my roommate bought the franchise, and then she moved. But because I, I was very involved in community health education, I thought, oh, this is really fun. I coach women to help them lose weight, and they pay me. So I bought this sub, um, sub I'm having a, I'm pulling a blank, but I bought this sub franchise from her, and I did very, very well. And it was in a, it was, it required a lot of trust. See, trust always involves risk. Trust is about a risk assessment. Am I willing to um, be vulnerable to making a decision that has some uncertainty? And so with trust, we need to make sure that we're making a calculated risk. Both my father and my father-in-law said, you're absolutely nuts. No one's going to pay you to help them lose weight. Well, it was a thriving business. So I bought it at 23. I sold it at about 25 and a half, 26. And I was kind of full of myself thinking, well, I'm invincible. Look at what I did. Because I made a lot of money on it. And I, I go around the, actually the world, talking about comparison. Because comparison is a really big thing in my life. I've been very subject to comparing myself. I come from a high-achieving, high-contributing family. A family member started Swarthmore College. Um, another family member started Wharton School of Business. I mean, these are, these are really intentional, intelligent people. And I did not go to private school. I did not go to college right out of school. So you're seeing patterns develop here. And so I felt less than when I compared myself to my family. And I wanted to make a big splash. And I was ripe to, I, I won't say taken advantage of, but I was an easy mark. And I, I will say that I started to see money signs. And I was drawn in by that. I was 26 years old. And I'd just come off of a big success. And I was vulnerable, and I said yes without really thinking it through and calculating, am I really doing something that's in alignment with who I am? And maybe this is the point. There was a word that, that really seared itself into my soul, and the word is hopium. And my definition of hopium is a false sense of confidence Direction originated from overinflated promises to succeed. And to me, that speaks to greed. And I got greedy. And I don't like saying that. And I was 26 years old. And I've forgiven myself. And I realized. I could let that take me down and be shamed that I lost a large sum of money, or I could say, I can learn from this. And I have to tell you, I am grateful that I went through this experience, and I know there are a lot of women and men who are listening to this who aren't at that place yet, and there is no, I'm not saying that I'm superior because I'm grateful for a rough experience. I think it's a process. But I learned so much about myself, about people, about business. Some of the business principles I learned in that business that I got involved with are still with me today. And they're the things that keep me wanting to be visible and vocal so that people can take a breath when they're about to make a decision and say, is this really me? Does this serve me well? What is the fruit of the decision I'm about to make? I, I have these things called grace cards, and any of your listeners that are interested in getting some grace cards from me, I'd be happy to get them to them. But it's a little card. It's the size of a business card, and it's, it's red, and it says grace card. And on the back, it's just a card that gives you permission to love, accept, and forgive yourself right now. And Richard Ward has this this definition of forgiveness, and I and I, I Betsy iced it a little bit, but it's letting go of the past you wish you'd had, 
Mm-hmm. Letting go of the past you wish you'd had. That's powerful. And I, I just made a decision that I needed to learn from this, to forgive myself, and what, how can I use this in a powerful way? Because the effect was powerful. It, it almost did me in. How did your family and friends treat you after that? Or did you, did you tell them? Or did, how, how did that work? Oh, I was, I, I was just a cocky jerk. And I, I feel like, here, here's the thing is, and, and I'm just being really vulnerable here. Thank you. I think that I came in with a sense of entitlement. Because here's the deal, entitlement and gratitude cannot occupy the same space. Mm-hmm. And I was going to do this, and I was going to do that, and, you know, I just had this wild success, and, you know, it was just a jerk. And I'm so grateful that it, I think I was difficult to be around. And my family loved me through it. And I have since gone back and, and asked for their forgiveness and apologized. Um, I've forgiven the man that, that looped us into this and bald-faced lied to us. No, I just, I think that this is part of life. And, and you know, we seem so surprised when something like this happens to us. But I, I was, I've done a lot of reading and I've been watching a lot of very successful people and everybody has a point in their life where they've hit rock bottom, where they've done something that you know, others out from the outside are looking in going, well, that was really stupid. But as you just mm-hmm. said, it's a learning experience that that might be the only way we could have learned the lessons that we needed at the time. And I, people hate to hear this, you know, things happen for a reason, but I firmly believe in my life things that happen for a reason, good, bad, and ugly. So it, it's, it formed me so deeply. My marriage um, got better. And, and here's the fun part is my husband and I worked together for, I don't know, 35 years. So I was with him not only every day in the house, but I was with him every single day out in the field. Or not every single day, but the, when I worked. You know, it, and so we have a bond that, I'm really grateful. It's really carried us through a lot. We all, we all get to make choices. You know, we think, wh- wh- why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? And, and wisdom has taught me to say, why not me? <laughs> why not me? Who do I think I am? All that in a bag of chips? Well, when you said the word hopium, I don't know if you ha- how you spell that, but that was one word. H o p e dash i u m, like opium. It's an it's an addiction. Well, it is, and I put down here too because you were talking about accountability partners, and we hope for things, but we might lose our perspective. And I, and I, excuse me, I'm, I'm thinking about when I got so wrapped up in the in the online romance that I, and in using that word in thinking about what happened, I so hoped that I had a future with that person. And it clouded my, you know, my heart led my head, and it clouded my, mm-hmm. my gut. And I, I've heard you talk about that too, the heart, the head, and the gut. And I lost yeah. that. I lost, I kept putting up the pink flags instead of the red flags. And now I can look back on it and go, well, that was really interesting. But that's true. I, I had hoped because I'd lost my husband so quickly. And I, I, didn't, I wasn't desperate, but I really loved the, what I thought was the companionship and the friendship and you know, the, the writing and stuff that was going back and forth. I was hoping that that was going to be my future. And it turned out to be a huge lie and a financial fiasco, but I've learned so much about myself through it. And, yes. 
That's it. And so you, you said something too about how can we reframe, I love that word, reframe. Can you kind of expand on that? How do we reframe um, our lives after we've been through something like that? Okay, so um, I, I am a woman of faith. I, I found faith in the midst of recovering from this debacle. And so for that, I'm grateful. And um, Henry Nowen has this great, this great idea about hope. And he says, I see hope as an attitude where everything stays open before me. That's expansive. Because what happens when we go through a, a scam, it's hard to trust everything. And everything kind of, clo- for me, things started to close in for me. And I felt very constricted and um, it was like suffocated. And when I think about hope, it's about possibility. And, and one of the nicknames that people have given me is a purveyor of active hope. Not sitting on your couch, twiddling your thumbs, waiting for your hope to come in or your ship to come in. But you go out and you actively go out with an open yes and attitude. And can, can I kind of go, go away from your question for a second? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Um, so I don't know if you've ever gone and seen improv or done improv. I've, I've done improv on a, just taking classes. And one of the things that's just so fun, think about two people on stage, and, and someone from the audience throws out a topic. They say, give us a topic, and we'll, we'll do a little um, sketch right here for you. And so you have Larry and you have Mo. And, and so this person lobs this idea, and Larry, Larry doesn't get into the yes and kind of attitude, the attitude of hope and expansion. And they don't have a sketch at all because there's no, um, there's no yes and, there's no possibility, there's no place to go. It's closed. It's like a box canyon. You and I are familiar with box canyons. They're all over Utah. You can walk and walk and walk and then it's a dead end. But when we come and, and we take this idea of what um, Henry Nowen is saying, if it stays open before me, it's a yes and. I mean, think about how life would change. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. I, I work with business women. And in, a, in the sales process, someone has a, um, an objection. You know, I can't do that. That's too, much expense. That's too much money. Yes, and think about the possibility of being able to shift your mindset around, you know, investing in yourself. It, it opens up people's capacity to think differently. So there's a um, – does that make sense to you? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So the very first coach that I ever hired, I told her my story, and she said, you're very invested in your story. And I thought that, that gave me pause. I was thinking, huh. And she said, who would you be without that story being so active and big in your life? And I, I felt very uncomfortable because that story I, helped identify me that I was less than in comparison and all that sort of stuff. And she said, work with me for a second. And she said, think about looking through a kaleidoscope. Being an artist, I love kaleidoscopes. I love the color and the light and the shape and the symmetry and all of that. So I, I imagine, and she said, take a snapshot in your mind's eye of that image. And I said, okay, easy to do for me. And she said, I want you to take the end piece and I want you to move it a quarter turn to the right. What happens? And I said, well, the picture changed. And she said, yeah. Okay, okay, so play with me here. Turn it back a quarter turn to the left. Get that same picture. And I said, well, I can't. And she said, that's what a reframe and a shift does. The whole picture changes, and you can't go back. And when we come with an attitude of hope, that everything will stay open before me, we can love that new image, that new picture, that new mindset, that new belief and we can reframe our beliefs and our assurances. Okay, so thinking about what you just said, when, when Lou died, it's been 11 years, almost 11 years now, 
and he died suddenly. And I'm thinking, things will never be the same. We're not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z that we had planned. And I could have gotten stuck in that, but I didn't. Um, thank goodness, because I was too busy. You know, we, I, I've heard you talk about being busy and, and busyness being part of our life. I was too busy. I had to run his company. I had to run my own business. I had to keep my four kids going, you know, and we get so wrapped up in busyness that the grief can overtake us sometimes, but we also mm-hmm. can skip that part because we, have, we don't have time for it until later on because it's going to catch up with you. Things are going to catch up with us. Um, but at that point, I'm, I'm, you can get stuck in comparison too, and you've talked a lot about comparison and you know, like the why me? Why did this happen to me? I'm 52 years old. Why is this happening to me? You know, And how do you let go of that why me? Because you've said, I've heard you talk about that comparison is the thief of joy, and that is so yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. So Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is juicy. We give our consent when we compare what we presume is right about someone else against what we know is not okay with us. We compare the external with the internal. That's a setup. We never know what is going on in someone else's life. We never know what is going on behind closed doors. Um, This has been a very difficult 15 months for me. I've lost three friends to suicide, and one of them was my best friend. And on the exterior, this woman had it all together. And I had breakfast with her the morning that she went home that night and attempted to take her life. How could I have missed that? It's my best friend. How could I miss that? We hide. We're those women behind the smile. Why? We hide. Because of shame. Hmm. That's my my belief. Um, I had the the luxury of seeing Brene Brown before Gifts of Imperfection came out. and I sat and listened to her for two days, and I just thought, who is this woman? And I absolutely love the work that Brene Brown is doing. She talks about shame a lot, and we don't talk about shame enough. We all have our stuff, Debbie. Welcome to humanity. Right. But here's the deal. Here is the, you know, as my friend Katarina Rando says, super tip alert. Here's the super tip alert. It isn't about our stuff. It's about the impact. It's about the impact. I could have been taken out. You could have been taken out when Lou died and when you got into this relationship that, that had the potential for sinking your ship. But, we, but here's the thing is we all get to choose. I'm not saying it's easy. Please hear me. It is not easy. But it's rich and it's juicy when we get on the other side. And I think what happens is we posture and we position that I'm too cool for school and nothing ever happens to me. And when we come and allow ourselves to be vulnerable, it opens us up to really rich, deep relationships. And, and here's the thing I, I love to teach. I'm, I'm big-hearted. I love to teach women to you know, lead with their heart and use their head. It's really messy when we don't take our head with us, you know. But it's okay to lead with your heart. We have a head for a reason. There are checks and balances. But when we're all heart, that's not helpful. When we're all head and we cut ourselves off from our emotions, that's not helpful either. I mean, Brene says we can't selectively choose our emotions. We're people, you know, anger is an okay emotion. It's what do you do with it? Sadness is a great emotion. What do we do with it? We, you know, let's not be afraid of our emotions. Let's be real with those. 
work through them. I mean, here's the deal. Is I, I, I will never get over my friend's suicide. I'll just never get over it. And what I know is I will get through it. I'll get through it. I, I've made so many beautiful friends since this happened that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had before. Does it mean I don't miss my friend? I'm, I think about it every day. I have contact with her kids. It doesn't change that. Here's, here's one of the best definitions of grief I've ever heard. It's love with no place to go. Mm-hmm. Love with no place to go. So, okay, this, this might be very shallow to someone on this call who listens to this. But you know how I dealt with it? It was in the midst of COVID. I went and got a puppy. <laughs> and you know what? To have this little puppy put her, her chin on my shoulder and snuffle into my ear grounds me and makes me feel safe. <laughs> Is this going to save me from all the awful things out there? No, it's a puppy for goodness sakes. But you know what? When she looks at me, I know I'm enough. And in, in those times of deep sadness, that's more than enough. The, the mantra that I choose to live by is I am enough, I do enough, and I have enough. And for that, I'm grateful. Say that again. That's, that's very powerful. It's, I, I am enough, I do enough, and I have enough. It's from a book called The Seven Laws of Enough by Gina LaRoche and Jennifer Cohen. They're out of um, Harvard. And it's just a great book about what's enough. What's, what's enough? I mean, honestly, Debbie, I, I said at the beginning, you know, I got greedy. What's enough? I know, I know a lot of wealthy people who have more money than they know what to do with. And it's never enough. More is, is never going gonna to make anything. It, more will not cure what ails you. Mm-hmm. I, I think and, that's one of the juiciest sound bites from that book is uh, The Seven Laws of Enough. More oh, I like that. I like yeah. that. And and in today's world, though, especially since we're so isolated from in-person, you know, greetings and meetings, um, you, you actually put in here with something about letting go of feeling like an imposter. But like we said, we are comparing ourselves to the best of other people. I mean, you look at at social media, and you look at that's why I've stayed off of social media a lot. Um, in the last year, is it can really make you sad in ways. Um, not about what other people are doing, but you're looking at going, oh my gosh, well, they're traveling, they're doing this, they're, you know, they, you're comparing your worst day with their best. And you're comparing their highlight reels with our behind the scenes. Exactly. And I found that, you know, the younger we, the younger folks, I'm not putting this on the kids, but their life is consumed with that. Uh, I mean, I see my grandkids who are, are under seven, and they want to be, you know, on the gadgets. They want to be, they want a phone. And I'm like, are you kidding? I didn't have a cell phone until I was like 45, 50. <coughs> Excuse me. But they, they live in sound bites. They live in that, and we were talking about earlier that, you know, our attention span is that of a net. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at other people's in other people's lives in a minute and not understanding what they've been through, what they're going through, you know, who they are. Uh, and we're comparing ourselves to them. You know, I, I lost more than so-and-so or, or, and I, you know, makes me, my situation worse or, or, you know, my husband died when I was 20 instead of 50. Well, that's not the point. The point is we all go through something and, it happens to us, and it's sad, and, it's, and it makes you mad. And at some point, when do you turn to the glad? When are you glad that something has happened? I mean, I'm not glad that Lou died. 
but I've made the most of it. And I'm so grateful for the time we had together and the thing and my four children and my grandchildren. I mean, I'm so grateful for that. But I've also gone on with my life and I, I have remarried, which is the happy part of my story, to a marvelous guy who had had his own set of troubles. But together we are very strong and full of life and joy because we have each other. Simple life. We like to hold hands and we watch TV at night. And that brings me joy. And I don't, rem- I don't think about the other stuff all the time. So, Debbie, here, here's here's the thing is, you know, I, I, <laughs> this sounds so incredibly simple and like, duh. And I'm and please, I'm not, I'm not trivializing what you and I have gone through, but we all die, right? None of us know. We we had. Such a horrendous windstorm yesterday that on the Air Force Academy, they had they measured gusts of 107 miles an hour. I was in my sunroom on a uh, interview, and I'm watching the glass just bow, and I'm thinking, I got to get out of my sunroom. I've never seen. I've been in hurricanes and boats, and I've never seen anything like this. It scared me. I mean, people. It just wreaked havoc. Well, that came, and I went for a walk at seven in the morning. There was no wind. And the wind came out of nowhere. We have no idea when we go through a, a four-way stop if the other car is going to stop. We just, we have this, it's this entitlement that we're going to live forever. And we're all going to die. And I don't say that to be depressing, but when we can live from that place, it gives us a sense of gratitude. I, I have a bracelet that I wear, and it says, the struggle ends when gratitude begins. Mm. And, I, you know, I look at, at, at the blessings I have. And one of the exercises I give my clients is when they're just you know, layer, lower than a snake's belly button on a call, I'll just say, okay, I'm putting my timer on. I want you to write down for one minute and do not lift your pencil off the paper. I want you to write all of your blessings for the next 60 seconds. And then we'll have a conversation. And it's do they argue amazing with you? how that... You know what? They may not like me. <laughs> not all my clients like me all the time because you know what? I I um, I push them, which I think that's why they pay me. They do it. They know. They know. They've gone through this enough. It's a reframe. You're putting the emphasis on the right syllable. Yeah. I can always think of fifteen reasons why. You know what? What? I mean, Tibby, come on, I don't know who you are. You're making me get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and talking about things that are really vulnerable. I'm like, what? What is up with this? You know, you disrupt my beauty sleep. And if you could see me now, you know I need all the help I can get. But, but you know, really, the truth is, it was inconvenient. I had to reschedule my, my standing 6.30 appointment, you know. And I'm like, I love this. I get to talk to people I don't even know and maybe give them uh, just a seed of hope. It may not bear fruit today, but I planted hope. And if they will be committed to watering and nurturing that and, and, and really tending to that seed of hope in a year, things could look really different if they'd allow themselves to be vulnerable and, and reframe how they think. Well, I'm really glad that you did that. <laughs> and, uh, Me too. And I don't care what your hair looks like this morning because I told you. It was just, <laughs> I just wanted your voice. <laughs> Excuse me. And it's fun. And w- one thing I, wanted to, I do want to get to, though, because um, I heard you talking about this, about drying up, from, drying up on the inside. And this is where we lose hope. We dry up on the inside. And you've talked a lot about, in one of your talks, about Stephen Covey and the be, do, and have. Can you give us a quick rendition of the be, do, and have? So if we 
could just be okay with our being. I mean, we're called human beings. We're not called human doings or human havings. It gets back to this whole thing about enough. I just need to do more. I'm self-employed. My husband's self-employed. Well, our, our studio is on our property. So, like, we could be doing work all the time. My sunroom is, my office is on our property. I could, be, I could stay in that sunroom, and I'd still have more things to do. It's, it's endless, the doing. You know, if you just do more, Debbie, you, you'd, you know, you'd be better. I mean, because it gets back to this whole comparison thing. And I, I want to go back to something you said about uh, social media. I call it fake book and Instagram. <laughs> and, and that's how, and I'm on, I'm on social media a lot. But I, I try and have juicy sound bites on it to give people hope. And it's not about comparison. It's about hope. And so there's always more to do. We'll never get through our to-do list. Thank God for that. Do you hear the reframe on that? I don't let doing undo me. And, and if you think about what Gina and Jennifer said, say, you know, more will not cure what ails us. I just have to, I mean, okay, so we, we bought a, a truck camper and we had it made for us and it's brand new, it was really cool. And three, three trips into it, we realized, we found out we were going to be grandparents and we got this other dog, that this camper was way too small. So it's the classic camper creep. So we now have a much bigger camper. Well, we just came off the road for 14 days. I love that I have a business where I can design my business around my life instead of my life around my business. And we realized, oh, well, you know, we, we could sell this and do that. And I'm like, we don't need more. This isn't about having more. Because when we have more, we have to, we have to do more in order to keep the have we have. And we're so busy with the doing and the having that we neglect the being. Here, here's what I love to do is I love to work with women to give them sustainable abundance. To fall so in love with themselves that they don't care if they have the latest and greatest. I mean, honestly, I used to do a children's theater with a, um, a friend of mine and, and her, her shtick was, I'm only as good as my last performance. The last thing I'm doing. That breaks my heart now. When I think about that, she was just driven by not enough. So what if... We could just be. We could be still and know. Know that we're enough. I had a near-death experience and I couldn't move. I, um, my body was shutting down and I, I remember I had a, a near-death experience. I, I experienced leaving my body and, and all of that and I was in the ambulance and I couldn't open my eyes I couldn't speak and I was having trouble breathing and my you know my heart had stopped and and the uh, medic said you know Mrs. Clark tell us I had taken a um, my husband had lovingly overdosed me from a, a surgery I was in so much pain so he gave me the maximum amount of medicine in the minimum amount of time and he was lovingly killing me and overdosing me mm. and we were not aware of this. And um, I remember thinking after that vision of that experience that even if I lived in, a, in this vegetated state where I couldn't move, it was enough. Hmm. It was enough because I was enough. God was more than enough. And I know that not everybody has faith, but whether it's universe or some, some you know, source bigger than yourself, um, that really has helped me because it's not all about me. 
And most of the challenge that we have are first world problems. I've, I've been in squatter camps in Johannesburg, and I've seen joy there. Is it easy? No. But there's joy there. I've been in Mozambique. I've been in, in places that, you know, we would have a hard time living in. And these people have joy. Because they, they're able to be. I found as I've gotten older that it is a joy to give things away. Just mm. release. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Just release. As I'm sitting here amongst all these papers in my office, I'm like, just release the clutter. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you find that? Yeah. I mean, I love going through my closet every six months and just, okay, release. Someone else's thank you. Like Marie Kondo, thank you. Oh, and yeah. Go to another home. Does this so, bring me joy? It brings me it joy to give, <laughs> to give away. Yeah. Well, and so here's, a, here's an interesting thing. Um, I think it's, you know, it's blessed to, to give and, and all that sort of stuff. But I also want to give women permission to receive. Because if we're only just giving all the time, it's kind of like we're control freaks, right? I mean, right. there's power in giving. But you can't have a bunch of givers all in the room because there's no reciprocity. If you're just giving and there's no one receiving, well, what's that about? And so how can we be a good receiver? Oh, no, 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 I don't need that. We're saying I don't want to allow myself to be vulnerable to receive. I feel like women have a very hard time. And, and okay. Let me take that back. I know for me, it has been a struggle for me to ask for help. And I think there are a lot of women that, were, that are my age that have a hard time asking for help. And I love receiving now. I love it. And, and what's so interesting is it's shaped my money story. I don't make money, Debbie. I receive money. I don't have a little printer downstairs that makes dollar bills. I receive money. And the reason I receive money is because I give something of value. And it just takes a lot of the angst out of, I have to make money. I I have, listen, I have to get a new client this month. If I don't, you hear the scarcity and the desperation in that mm-hmm. versus, you know what? I'm just going to keep serving. I'm going to serve with gratitude. You know what? I'm, I'm, my hourly rate, wait till you get my bill. I'm just kidding. I mean, there's, I'm giving. I'm giving of, of my time, but I'm receiving so much. One of our biggest fears is we're going to be abandoned and that we don't fit in, that we're alone. And to just hear your responses and the vibe on the phone call, I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. And my, my shame is lessened. We keep shame in the, in the corner, in the dark. But when we bring our vulnerability and our imperfection and our flossomeness to the conversation and bring it to the table, we bring it to the light and the darkness is diminished. Because light always wins. Well, and people can feel it. It's not about necessarily what we say. It's how we make people feel. And I'm looking at your picture, and it's the one, you know, you've got a big smile on your face, and then I've got another picture of you and one of your puppy dogs. It might be your little baby you're talking about. Um, And I'm looking at the people that are on the show, and I think, oh, my gosh, this would be a what you just said would be excellent for that person. You know, that's a little tidbit that I, I know these folks that are listening. And I can feel the synergy. I can feel the, the, the joy that comes from the little tidbits that you're giving us. And I love the super tip alert. That's, that's a great tip. Um, yeah, but that's Chatterita Rando. I, that's not mine. <laughs> oh, that was really cute. Um, 
but your hopium, hopium, the hopium. There's just so many things that I got out of looking at some of your videos this morning, and just because I knew who you were coming from Trish, that that connection through Trish, I'm like, you know what? There are there are women out there, and I know you work with a lot of women, and you know a lot of women, and and so do I. And sometimes I'm thinking, well, I don't know anybody. Who am I? You know? Um, and then mm-hmm. and that starts the comparison in the in the brain. That's me. Stop. Mm-hmm. Just stop. Let it go. And we each, thank goodness, are not here put on this earth to be alone. And we're put here to be there for somebody else, to be that, as Nancy Matthew says, to be the one for someone else. But mm-hmm. we make a greater influence if we can be the one together because we're, our circles of influence are overlapping as time goes on. I've found that as time goes on, we, and I've heard you talk about this too, you're in different groups, some big, some little, but they start to overlap and it's that overlap part that I find the great joy in because we're like-minded people. We're like-hearted mm. women. And that's the joy, and that's why we're put on this earth, is to find where we have our purpose in those, in, in those connections. So, my friend, if you, we're running out of time, and I knew we were going to. One last thing. <laughs> I loved listening to you talk about when you watched Oprah and Lady Gaga. <laughs> it oh. just cracked me up because you said Lady Gaga is known as the kindness punk. I didn't ever know that. But yeah. what is it about kindness to ourselves and to others that will make the biggest difference in our lives today? I think the opposite of kindness is entitlement. I deserve this. I require this. Have you ever been to a restaurant where someone just cops an attitude because the the person who's waiting on them didn't do this or didn't do that, and they just turn out to be a jerk to that person? Yeah, I hate that. And it's like it's they're entitled. What they don't realize is that's a single woman who has three kids with poop at home and she chose to come up, came, came to work because of a commitment to her kids. And they're sitting there judging because she's distracted and maybe not meeting and tending to their very need. And none of us, none of us has the right to be a jerk to someone else. None of us. Barry Corey says that kindness is... Um, a firm, it's a firm edges with a soft center. And I think of it as being like a hostess Twinkie or something <laughs> or ding dong or whatever. But you know what? We have boundaries. We have boundaries that keep it because being unclear, according to uh, Brene Brown, is unkind. Being clear is kind. And when we're clear on who we are, I can do this, but I can't do that. These are my values. These are my strengths. It takes self-awareness to stand in kindness. And that sounds self-absorbed, but most of us get confused about what arrogance and confidence are. Some of the most arrogant people I know are the most insecure people. Mm-hmm. Everything is a fight they have to justify. St. Augustine said, deliver me from the lust of always having to justify myself. Oof, that's rough. What if we could just be we could be in kindness. It's funny, when we had, when computers first came out, we had a big monitor downstairs, and I gave my kids a lecture about computers and what we were bringing into our house. And on the monitor, I had this banner that said, kindness matters. And the two things that I wanted my kids to be were contributors and kind. And now that we're having grandchildren on, in both of my kids' lives, I've talked to their spouses and I said, what, what is the end game? I'm on team so-and-so and I'm on team so-and-so. What is the end game as a grandparent? What do you want me to be pointing to? And both of my kids' spouses have said kindness and contribution. Well, unfortunately, okay. the kids aren't seeing that in the world 
today because it's just so uncivil. But Debbie, that's uh, that's not enough reason not to to stay committed to it. Because oh no, if you absolutely not. Say it's too big. If it's too big, it can't be done. No, absolutely then, not. It it begins with me. It, it kindness it begins does. with me. That's a great little song. But kindness begins with yeah. me. And and it and does. as a grandmother too. I, I love that, and, and it's so hard because you're looking at the kids and they start arguing with each other and hitting each other, and I'm like, just be kind. It's your little sister, you know? And, and I'm thinking, I don't know if my brothers and I fought that much, but although they brought out a BB gun one time and shot it at me, and I, we laugh. But kindness begins with us, and, and um, I, like, I think you, I have heard you talk about, Barry Covey talking about, the definition of kindness being having a firm center with soft edges. Opposite of my best chocolate chip cookies, which have crispy edges and a firm center, or crispy edges and a soft center. But well, actually, it is it is having firm. It's it's being firm on the outside, having boundaries, but allowing yourself to be soft on the inside. There you go. Well, and that's it, and not being and not being standoffish. Because sometimes when you have the firm edges, people think you're snobby, or that you're not kind, and 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 that's when they that's the the judgment of not knowing who you are, and just maybe putting your values on whatever that other person's about. Does that make sense? When I'm projecting, we're, we're what I judging. Think, we're, yeah, absolutely we judging. That's the, not kind. Well, and we see the world as we are, not as it is. And so if we're in a bad space, you know, then that, that person who's waiting on us is a jerk. But we don't know the back story. She's got three kids that she's very distracted by. She can't wait to get off her shift. I, this is why these grace cards are so big. I go... I have them everywhere. I have them in my wallet. And if I see, back in the day, before I had kids, this is a perfect example. This woman, and this was before COVID, um, this woman had three kids in her shopping cart, and they just, they had runny noses, their cheeks were shellacked with snot, and they were going up and down the aisles. And one of the kids grabbed a a lemonade bottle and dropped it, and it, it shattered. And this woman was at the end of herself, and she just started crying. And I went over and I gave her a grace card. And she started to cry. And I thought, Instead of judging her and saying, what are you doing with three little brats in a, in a shopping cart that are clearly sick? How do I know that she wasn't waiting for the pharmacy to give her, her um, you know, medication? Mm-hmm. I could have judged or I could have reached out and kind of saying, I see you. I see you. That started, and I'll end with one story. It started when I was pregnant with my second kid, and my first kid was pretty strong-willed. And she was not going to let me dress her. And so I just, being an artist, I felt like free expression was an important thing. So one side of her hair, she had a pigtail, and she had very straight hair, and the other was no pigtail. And I'm as big as a house. I'm ready to pop with a second kid. And it's a hot day in Southern California. And I went to the pharmacy, the drugstore, and this little kid is in the um, shopping cart. And I'm so embarrassed. I'm going, oh, please don't let me see anybody I know. I just can't stand the ridicule of how my kid is dressed and that I would let her out looking like this. And I'm standing in the uh, checkout line. And this woman just leans in from behind and says, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and then steps back. Well, the tears just start for me and I because I'm I'm hormonal and I'm feeling judged and and insecure and I'm going to be you know it just was a bad moment for me and I never looked back to see who that woman was and it was such a moment of grace when I needed someone to say I see you I see you and to me that's what grace is absolutely kindness is I see you I and uh, and actually, a lot of us have been that person. We've been those moms. And uh, mm. and as I told my son, who's you know struggling with 
two, two, two kids under six, I was like, they do grow up. Just take one day mm-hmm. at a time and one hug at a time. So my friend mm-hmm. Betsy Clark, thank you so much today for, I love the, the topic today it was be true to you, be on purpose, mm-hmm. be unstoppable, be forgiving of yourself. There's so many great things that we talked about today. And I thank you for, for taking the time out of your day, for starting your day with us, and, uh, <laughs> and, for, and for making me feel better, too, because it's been a long week with this strep throat that I had. But it, uh, it was well yeah. worth you know, sitting here second on a sore throat tablet. Um, but thank you so much for being with us. It was, I learned a lot. I learned a lot by going to, uh, to your YouTube channel. How can people get a hold of you? If they like to engage with Thanks you, for listening if they to want to stand watch up you on social media, up. we are dedicated to encouraging to? you to remove the mask of embarrassment Thank you and for being this. your best um, self. They can go to if Bessie you've been a victim of a scam LLC. or cybercrime, please visit so againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options to recovery. SCARS is a society of relationship scams. It's an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, please make a donation to help the victims around the world. Ability, that they need. They get access to this the episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that um, supports happy and healthy hands really for those with neuropathy. To be if you or anyone you know struggles with, you, with a pain and in my the middle, hope is that women check out our Benfotainment product at BenfoComplete.com and use special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks everybody for being here with us today. Go to my website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com for additional information and resources. Check out my YouTube channel and subscribe and follow the replays of all of our great guests. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much for being here. Absolutely. So thank you so very, very much. I, I so appreciate you being here and wish you a very happy holiday.